Sidelined USA presents Sideline Stories. We interview athletes who could no longer participate in their sport anymore due to current injury, health condition, concussion risk. We talk about their stories. What have they been through? What was their journey like? What was it like to step away from their greatest passions? So we do this all to start a conversation about what happens when an athlete has to step away from their sport due to circumstances that are outside of their control. The reality is, although it may seem like the end of an era, it can be the beginning of another. Every aspect of my life goes back to that moment in time and the inability to play soccer. And it was something similar to me losing a loved one. When I was told I couldn't play anymore, it's like my identity was, was taken away from me. It was like if we say, if we tell people that we're sad or we're depressed, then we're going to look, we're going to be looked at as weak and unable to perform. And if it weren't for this injury, I don't know that I would be where I'm at personally with finding my value in my being instead of what I'm doing. The courageous route is to confront how you're feeling and to be honest about it. there. Today we're going to bring you another sideline story. Today we have Jonathan Meldrum with us and Jonathan it's great to have you. We're going to just learn a tiny bit about you before kind of launching into your story and telling what it's unique, how it's unique. Um, but go ahead and tell us where you reside, what position and sport you played and what you do now. So I currently reside in Boise, Idaho. Um, I moved back here after I got hurt so in about 2010. Um, last two years, I've kind of transitioned. I, I originally was working with the prison system out here in Idaho, and uh, I've switched over into more of the therapeutic, clinical side of things. So I'm a drug and alcohol counselor for a company here in town. Um, when I was at Syracuse, I was uh, I was a right tackle uh, on the offensive line. Uh, I ended up getting up there in 2007 and 2009 until I got hurt. So. Very good. Thank you. Um, so yeah, this month at Sideline USA, we're talking about depression and sideline athletes. And I know you have a personal connection um, with depression. You've experienced depression, you know, throughout your, your life. And you also got sidelined and experienced depression after being sidelined. So we just would love to learn um, more about your story. I know you've got an incredible story and so many athletes are gonna to relate to it. So I really just would love for you to share kind of your story as it relates to depression. Yeah, absolutely. So um, depression wasn't really a new thing for me. Um, I had a, I've been brushing around with depression since I was uh, I think about 12 years old. So. You know, I know, I know some people that, you know, they, they started to experience their depression or, you know, you know, whatever it may be as they got older, but this was something that I'd been dealing with for quite a long time. So it wasn't like I was unprepared for it. Um, so I'd been on, since I was 12, I'd been to counselors and psychiatrists and stuff like that. Cause I just really struggled with managing my emotions and being able to regulate my emotions. Like I would have these incredible highs and these you know, terrible, horrific lows. Um, so by the time I had gotten to Syracuse, um, I, I was doing fairly well. I had gotten off my medication because typically for me, what it did is I would maintain medication until I was able to kind of stabilize myself. And then I would get with my doctor and they would help me out and they would kind of taper me off. And so by the time I got to Syracuse, a lot of things were going on, a lot of good things. And so I just didn't feel the need for, um, 
you know, medication. Like I was pretty good at managing my highs and my lows. <clears throat> Excuse me. When my freshman year, I did pretty well. Um, at the end of my freshman year, I had a knee surgery that kind of, you know, kind of sidelined me and put me uh, out of commission for all of spring ball and, you know, pretty much up until um, fall camp that year. And so during that time, you know, I just had a lot of rough things go on, um, you know, girl problems and uh, my mom who had struggled with substance abuse and, you know, incarceration, she had, you know, unfortunately relapsed and gone back to prison. And um, I was, we'd gotten a new coaching staff and, you know, I had this real terrible relationship with my new position coach and, um, we had to lose a bunch of weight and I wasn't able to, you know, work out like the rest of my teammates. So I developed an eating disorder, which didn't help me at all. Um, and I was taking, you know, I, I couldn't, you know, purge. And so like, I was just taking x lax and just fasting all the time. So my mental health and my physical health were just not, you know, at the standard of what a collegiate athlete should be at. And my depression came back full force midway through the summer. And I didn't say anything. I didn't tell anybody because, you know, I had this, I had this idea of, you know, what do I have to be sad about? Like, you know, how will other teammates respond to me? What will the coaches say? And so I just ate it, you know, and I just continued down this like spiraled, you know, downhill spiral within depression until like I was just at a point of no return. So um, by the time the season hit, I was just, I struggled getting up. I struggled um, maintaining motivation or focus. Um, I would have days where I felt like physically ill. So I would wake up and my body would hurt like I had the flu, like that deep body ache. And it was just it just sucked so bad. And, you know, to feel like that and then have to go perform, right. Because it wasn't, it wasn't like I, you know, I didn't play, you know, they, there was expectations that, you know, I fight for a starting spot and, you know, that I perform to a level of a collegiate athlete, you know, they put a scholarship on me. So I was expected to do well, but like, I just couldn't do it. And I just remember days I would cry and I would want to get out of bed and I would start, you know, having these suicidal ideations about, you know, the world would just be better without me or like, I can't deal with this pain anymore. And so things were pretty, pretty hard. I was able to go to practice every day. I mean, there's days I definitely tried to figure out ways to weasel out of practice, but typically by that, by, by the time you get to that level, you, you go to practice no matter what. So I'd be in practice and I'd feel physically ill and people would hit me and my bones would just, it felt like my bones were crushing because, you know, I'm just slamming and I'm a big guy. So I played offensive line. So like I'm slamming into other guys, my size, and it just would rattle me to the core every single time. And I remember plenty of times, like, I'm just like, if I had a gun, I would, I would put a bullet in my hand. Like I can't do this anymore. And so I was, you know, but I, I made it through the season um, and I'd had a pretty good, um, I'd started to develop a plan to, to kill myself because I'm just like, I can't do this anymore. And um, I was miserable and I was tired of, I was tired of just the grind and I didn't think anybody would really ever understand me. 
and I just I just didn't want to be around but like I had this like incredible guilt because like I didn't want to do it in the middle of the season and affect the players I mean looking back at it now it would have affected my teammates regardless mm-hmm. you know but at that time I was like I just have to make it through the season and then I can go home and I can just like drift off peacefully and like do my own thing uh, but, uh, you know, it didn't, you know, thank goodness it didn't work out that way. And I had a coach that, you know, approached me and, you know, kind of got me back on track. So, wow. So, I mean, that's, that's an incredible story. And it's so sad that you were carrying that burden and carrying it alone. I mean, did, did anyone understand or know what you were struggling with? I know you, you held it pretty tight. Um, but was anybody picking up on those signs that you were really not doing okay? Um, if anybody was probably my best friend, who's my roommate and to this day, still my best friend. Um, you know, he, he kind of suffered from some depression as well. And he had some stuff that happened within his life. And so I think he kind of understand and, and knew what that looked like. You know, because typically when you're depressed, you isolate and, you know, you're kind of, you know, you just don't have that shine about you. You're, you're just dull all around. And so I think he saw that in me, but I tried really hard. You know, he used to joke with me. He's like, oh, you know, here's John going back in his hole, you know, because it was just that was my that was my M.O. is uh, I would start to get depressed or I'd get overwhelmed and I would just kind of seclude to my room and hang out there. And so he knew, but I don't think he knew that it was as bad as it was. Um, like I said, he's still my best friend to this day. He's my daughter's godfather. And, uh, you know, he's, he's amazing. He's overcome his journey. But, it, you know, it's just amazing to see, like, actually how many football players or any a- athletes, for that matter, go through that same type of thinking within depression and mental health when they're playing. Right? So, like, I've had a lot of people reach out to me in that sense of, you know, they've read articles and stuff like that. They're like, that is exactly how I felt. Like, I wish I would have, you know, gotten help in that regards when I was feeling that way. So I think a lot of people see it. I just don't, it's still so taboo that I think a lot of people are afraid to address it mm-hmm. or let people address it because of how people will respond to them because nobody wants to be looked at as broken or unable to perform or, you know, stuff like that. Cause that's a huge fear, especially if you're at a level of, you know, sports where it's a money game, right. It's unfortunate. So. Sure. So, I mean, if you weren't talking about it with others, like how did you end up getting help? So, um, I had a coach that I could not stand. <laughs> he was, he was obnoxious. Um, in my eyes, he was obnoxious. You know, looking back, and I'm a coach now, I see what he was trying to do. But, you know, just as I've kind of grown into coaching, I've realized that not every kid is going to respond the same way. So you really have to figure out how to get through to some kids. And he was, you know, he was a good coach. We just didn't blend well as far as our personalities. And so um, we just ground against each other. And he was a big part of like, you know, just why I hated life so much. Because he just, I felt, I felt that it was his goal to make my life an absolute living hell every single day of practice and meetings and just everything. So, um, so we was the last game or it was the second to last game of the season my sophomore year 
Uh, we were playing the University of Notre Dame, and it, it had been a pretty rough year just for our team. You know, we'd had we'd had a losing season, and they just announced that our coach, our head coach, was getting fired after the season, mm-hmm. and we were in South Bend, and I just. I was just having a rough time. Like I look at pictures of me on campus cause we got to go tour Notre Dame and see the cathedrals and stuff like that. You know, beautiful campus, great experience. But like, I just had like my sunglasses on and the hoodie on and like there's pictures of me and I just, I'm just not there. <laughs> and every night when we played, we had a team, we had a team dinner and you know, just great food and everybody's kind of laughing and getting ready for the game. And I'm just sitting there kind of, you know, pushing my food around my plate. And um, my coach, this coach that I didn't get along with, you know, came up to me and asked me if he could talk to me. And I said, yeah. So I put my plate to the side and got up and he goes, and he pulls, so he pulls me to the side of, of this big banquet room. And he's like, what's going on? You know, like what's going on with you? And I like, I just broke. I started crying and, I mean, just hysterically crying. It was, I just like, it was just that moment. And honestly, if anybody would have asked me, I probably would have had the same response, but it was just, mm-hmm. he just caught me just right in that perfect time. And so he pulls me out and he, you know, takes me outside and we're sitting in this chair outside the lobby and I'm trying to pull myself together. Like I got teammates walking by and, um, it, you know, he's like, well, what's going on? So I, you know, I finally told him, I was just like, I can't do this anymore. I hate life. I hate living. I, I'm not happy with myself. I'm not happy with anything that's going on. And like I did, and I told him, I was like, I have this plan to kill myself. I, I can't, I can't do this. And so he looks at me and he goes, can you make it through this weekend? And I said, yes. And he goes, okay. He goes, we can't do much now. He goes, I'm going to talk to our head athletic trainer. We'll get you squared away. We'll figure it out. Um, And Monday morning, we'll get you ready. So I said, okay. So I went back up to my room, like feeling kind of like a dog with my tail tucked in between my legs. Like I just like spilled my guts. And uh, after we would eat dinner, we'd have a couple hours to kind of decompress and digest. And then we'd go down to team meetings. And as I'm coming back down to team meetings, I have Tim Neal. Uh, he was at the time he was the head athletic trainer for all Syracuse sports and I'm a I'm six five and Tim Neal is he's a short guy I don't want I don't want to say his height wrong and have him yell at me later but he <laughs> to my stature Tim's very short and, but he just has this personality and the way he carries himself you know you would think of him as 10 feet tall and he pulls me over and he goes, hey, Monday morning, come see me. We're going to get you straight. We're going to get you better. We're going to get you healthy. And so, you know, kind of my mentality at the time was like, okay, I'll do it. But yeah, right. Like, there's nothing you're going to be able to really do right now. Like, I, like I just felt like I was way too far gone. And so we played Notre Dame. We won, went home, and, and Tim followed through with everything that he said he was. You know, he got me in. He got me to a psychiatrist. He got me back on my medication. Uh, he would meet with me weekly, uh, you know, text messages here or there just to let me know or just to make sure that I was doing okay and let me know that, you know, he was there if I needed anything. So it was really, it was really incredible the amount of support that I got from the athletic training staff, because, you know, as an athlete, sometimes you just feel like they're, they're just there to patch you up and send you out. Right. It's like, they're not invested. 
but like here's like my coaches and then we got a new coaching staff and like everybody's like really making sure that I'm okay Mm -hmm. mentally like I'm mentally okay to play and lift and work out and perform and it was such a huge thing for my psyche at the time that Tim and you know the coaching staff had really kind of rallied around me and given me that support that I needed at that time so wow that's that's really intense thank you so so much for being so vulnerable um I know that does not does not come easy um so what do you think Jonathan what do you think would have happened if that coach hadn't approached you that day oh Honestly, I, I, I really truly believe that I probably would have, you know, attempted to end my life. Um, I was just done. There's, there's just nothing looking back at that time. And, you know, I've had rough moments since then, but like looking back at that time where I, I was just mentally, physically, and spiritually exhausted. I just, I didn't want to do it anymore. I would have, I, I had different ideas like, you know, overdose or, you know, I had had like all these elaborate plans to like follow through with suicide. So I really believe if, if I hadn't got that, you know, if that coach hadn't come to me and asked me how I was doing and, and I would have broken down, I, I truly believe with every intention that I would have, I would have ended my life 100%. So. Wow. Well, I, for one, am really, really, really glad that, you know, someone intervened and someone took the time, even though it was probably the last person you thought of. I know. And it's, it's super ironic that it it'd be this one person. And that's, and that's why I say, like, I don't, I had a hell of a time with him and we just clashed, but like, if it wasn't for him, like I, I probably wouldn't be here. And so like, I have to, I, you know, I kind of have to look back and I have to take it with a grain of salt of just like, that's a coach sometimes being a coach and not all coaches, you know, I mean, just for example, look at everything that's going on with the Maryland football team right now, this idea of, you know, coaches just not taking into account of what, how fragile these young men are going into, you know, college sports and being away from family and some of them don't have this background. And I think that sometimes coaches just kind of lose sight of that because it's such a business. And so, you know, that's just kind of how I looked at him. And then he came to me and, you know, he actually showed some compassion, which is something that I hadn't really gotten from him during throughout that entire season or since I'd met him. So it was, it was a huge, it was a huge, you know, sigh of relief that, you know, you kind of see that, that vulnerable side of the coaching staff of the, you know, that you actually feel like they care and they want to see you get better. So. Right. So I know your story. I know you got treatment and you were able to get back to playing and then you eventually became sidelined permanently with an injury. Can you tell us a little bit about that? And then also even just talk about um, if you experienced depression after you got sidelined. Yeah, absolutely. So um, after my sophomore year, after, you know, I got healthy and I got my, you know, my physical health and everything underway and, started eating healthy. Um, I had a great, great season my junior year. And they were talking about me going to the NFL. And so like, you know, I had all these great things going. I met my, I met my, my kid's mom and, you know, I just had this amazing support mentally. I was, I was there, I was healthy. I was happy. Uh, hadn't, 
And like physically, I was just at the peak of my physical health that I had ever been. And so like all around my junior year, I, I was great. So I had, you know, I had a decent season. You know, we as a team, we, you know, we didn't win or go to a bowl game or anything like that. But I felt like personally, like my personal goals, my personal performance that I did, I was very satisfied with that. And so I think we had about three games left in the season and we were playing at the University of Pitt and uh, I'd had a history of knee problems. And unfortunately, I had stepped in a stepped in a little divot in the grass and my good knee had popped. Oh. Um, so I didn't say anything, right? You know, that tough boy mentality. And so I was just like, I'll be fine. So I kept playing. I played on it the whole game and it just progressively got worse. And, and finally, I got pulled out. And uh, they're like, yeah, it looks like you tore, I tore my meniscus in my left knee. And so they're like, we're going to have surgery. And so that was going to be my fifth surgery on my knees. And so I was 100% on board of coming back the next year and playing and maybe trying to go to the NFL or, you know, trying out and doing the combines and stuff like that. And after the last game of the season, Tim Neal pulls me in and, you know, the head coach is there and, um, they'd spoken to my grandfather and my, and my, the orthopedic surgeon for the team was there. And they're just like, you are done. They're like, no NFL team is going to accept you. You've got way too many injuries. You're, you're a liability. So, you know, we can, we got two options. You can come back, you can play your senior year because I was a junior at the time, or we can keep you on scholarship and you can graduate. And I was just like, you know, I kind of had this mentality. I had my daughter was on the way and I was getting ready to get married. And I was just like, you know what, like I'll graduate. You know, I don't want to play another year and hurt myself worse. And so like I, you know, I hung up my cleats and I did, I did pretty well. Like I had a lot of exciting things. I had a, a wedding coming up. I had my, my daughter was going to be born. So like I had like a lot of things coming up on graduation. And so like, I really didn't have this depression that I thought I was going to have until about August um, when camp started. And I remember as a freshman sitting in, you know, our big auditorium and these players coming back and talking to us about, uh, you know, enjoy it while it lasts because you just never know when it's going to happen. And, you know, it's kind of the spiel that like, you know, these former players will come in and tell these younger kids, you know, to kind of, you know, have cherished these moments. And I just remember whenever I would hear something like that, I would just be like, yeah, right. Like, I can't wait to be done with football. Like, just just the grind and the workouts, the time and the effort, like, I'm ready. Until it, like, actually happens to you. And I remember at the time I was living with my in-laws and um, my my father-in-law had come up to me and we, I was looking for work and we were getting ready to move. This is in Buffalo, New York. We were getting ready to move to Idaho. And he goes, hey, do you want to drive up to Syracuse and go uh, watch the first couple of days of practice? And it just, it just hit me. Like, I was just like, I, from that point on, I knew that I was done. I was never going to put pads on before. Again, I was never going to, uh, you know, have that, that team camaraderie. I was never going to have any of that. Like my career as a football player was completely finished. And I retreated back into, into the room. And here's my, here's my wife with, you know, two kids, two small kids, both in diapers. And like, I spent like a week in the bedroom. I didn't eat. I didn't do anything. I just, I just laid there and cried. And 
probably about a week after she comes to me and she goes, you are a father. You need to, <laughs> lack of a better word, she told me I need to get my ass out of bed and I needed to, to act, act like a man and take care of my responsibilities. And so I did. You know, I knew it was hard and I, and I continued to struggle with depression past that point, but I didn't let myself get sucked so far down as I did before. So it was, it was definitely something that I struggled with. And then, you know, when, after I moved to Boise, Idaho, my, one of my old high school football coaches was like, why don't you start coaching and pulled me on, you know, a team around here. And um, so I started coaching and it was the greatest, it was probably one of the greatest gifts I could have had. Uh, it is exhausting and, and time consuming. And, you know, I'm not a school, I don't work for the school district. So, you know, I have a different job and I go to that job and I help out with the varsity, but just the fulfillment that you get from working with these young kids and like trying to help them, you know, learn their positions and learn the game and keep them motivated and keep them excited, you know, and give them things that I didn't get that I lacked within my, within my experience through football is probably one of the greatest gifts I could have gotten back. It definitely keeps me, keeps me grounded, you know, just as, just as an individual is I get to go out here and I get to engage with the kids and, and work with them and see that excitement in their eyes. So definitely. Yeah. And I know your wife was part of a really important kind of part of pulling you out of that second depression with the, you know, after you were sidelined and you were reliving um, the beginning of the season the next season, but from the sidelines, tell us a little bit about those conversations you had with her. Yeah. So, um, she, you know, she had struggled with her own depression. I just remember I struggled, you know, with my ex-wife with just because I was in such a, I was in such a negative headspace, you know, when we were married, you know, especially my first couple of years, because this idea that, um, I don't think people that play sports understand of how much of an identity that sports creates for us as we continue to excel within that sport. Mm -hmm. So, you know, from Pop Warner or Pee Wees to, you know, junior high or high school to, you know, uh, college, whatever level it is, like you develop this identity. And it was truly hard because my entire life, I've always been known as John, the football player, or, hey, this is Jonathan Meldrum. He played at Syracuse University. Uh, or, hey, this was, you know, John was a Big East, you know, All-American. Or this is John, John, John. So, like, there was always a title with me. And so when you don't play anymore and you're just an average person, that is a true, that was truly the hardest thing for me is that people didn't look at me with that kind of praise anymore. And it like, it sounds kind of vain, but it's hard when you're just, when you've always been above everybody else and now you're just considered average. Mm -hmm. And so one of the biggest things is like, I knew, like, I, I trained my whole life to be, um, to be in this sense of, like, just this perfect athlete. And then like, I didn't have it anymore. So it was super hard to just look at it and be like, I'm, I'm nothing. And I remember telling my, telling my ex-wife, she's like, well, you are something, you, you're a dad and you're a father and you're my husband. And, and it's, it's, I look at it now and I can't believe I said it, but I was just like, that's, that doesn't matter. Like that's, 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 that's not, 
Like, I know I'm those things, but like, that's just not important to me. Like I needed this, this hard regiment. I needed this, you know, this idea of, um, of how to, you know, train and do this. And I needed a schedule and I just needed this praise when we went out. I just didn't get that. You know, I was just expected, like I had kids. And so as a dad, you act like a father. And I didn't know how to do that. Right. I knew how to be a football player. I didn't know how to be an adult. And that was such a hard thing to grasp because within these football programs, they talk about making us men and making us young men, but they don't teach us the life skills that come along with what it is to be a true adult and take care of responsibilities and do these things. They expect us to hold a standard within the program, but there's so many programs and so many coaches that, you know, they, as long as we're performing, they don't care what we do. Right. And so like when we get out on our own, we don't know how to act. We don't know how to pay bills. We don't know how to uh, engage in healthy relationships because we have this, this, this false identity that's been built and built and built over, over this time of us playing. And so it's super, it was super hard. And I know that really, that really probably had a real negative effect on, you know, my relationship with my wife, because I still wanted that praise and recognition. And I, and I'll be honest, the first couple of years I coached, I loved it because kids, I still kind of got that from the kids. Like, Oh, he was a Syracuse football player. And like, I really ate that up. Now I just absolutely I love to coach because I mean, I'm 10 years, almost 10 years removed from football, from playing. And it's just like, I don't need that recognition anymore as this player. Like I've, I've really kind of developed my own identity, but it was, it was super hard. It was super hard. And it affected not only just my relationship with my, my, with my ex-wife, but also my relationship with my kids and my family and friends and stuff like that. Because like, at some point in time, I, you know, I still wanted to be worshipped as I was this amazing athlete. And I just, that wasn't who I was anymore. Right. So. Yeah. I, it sounds like the, what do they call it? The school hard knocks, you know, just reality of life and just is what ended up teaching you. It took time, but I mean, you sound like you looking back now, you're not still in that same place. So you, you, you found your Yeah, it was, I mean, it took some time and I'm, and I had, and I had to get knocked down a few, you know, a few times, but I really figured out who, who I was. And I mean, I'm still like, I'm not perfect by any means, but like, I I have a better grasp of who I am and the things that I value and the things that I find much more important. Uh, You would have asked me years ago, like eight or nine years ago, like it was just this identity. Like now, like what is important to me is, is my children and my relationship I have with my family and my career. Like I am, I'm about, you know, holding these things close and dear to me rather than this, this false perception of reality that I thought I needed to feel happy. So. Glad to hear it. Glad to hear it. Um, All right. So just kind of wrapping up our interview, which has been so fantastic. I'd love to just transition a little bit to your advice. I'd love to hear your advice to um, anyone in a support network of an athlete who may be identifying signs of depression in the athlete, either an athlete or a sideline athlete. Like, what would you, what would you say to them? Um, How can they be a support to that athlete? Uh, You know, I think if you, if you have somebody in your life, if, you know, whether it's ath- athletics or just in general, and you, you think that they are suffering from depression or any type of, you know, 
any type of mental illness, you know, I think it's important to that we give support, um, you know, and we encourage them to get help. I think a lot of times I see people and they think that their ideas or their recommendations is the best. And sometimes that's not always the healthiest. And so, you know, I would have loved my, my roommate from college, like maybe to push, not push. I don't want to use, I don't want to say push because that sounds kind of aggressive, but just, you know, maybe just talk to me a little bit more in the sense of, you know, ask me what's going on. And cause like he was there for me and I knew it, but I think a lot of times that we feel, especially in college athletics if, or in athletics period is like, if we say, if we tell people that we're sad or we're depressed, then we're going to look, we're going to be looked at as weak and unable to perform. And we don't want our, you know, our peers to look at us and be like, oh, you know, John's soft or, you know, John's having this or John's having that. But in reality, there's so many, there's so many athletes that go through the same exact feeling and they just mask it with this masculinity that is false. And so like, I would say for anybody that's, you know, has a loved one or has a friend or a colleague or whatever that's suffering from depression is just be supportive, right? And, and give them the love and support that, you know, you would want if you're in that position. And now just speak to the athlete, if you wouldn't mind, like to that sideline athlete out there, or even just maybe there's an active athlete who is struggling with depression, who's watching this interview, who's listening to this podcast. Can you just speak directly to them for a minute? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's super hard. It's super hard to be in a position and to have to perform at a level that you don't feel like you're able to. And, you know, to any athletes out there that are that are having these hard moments and, you know, are spiraling out of control or they just hit their their rock bottom and they're considering hurting themselves or anything like that. Like, I would truly honestly reach out, reach out to your circle, reach out to the people that you feel most comfortable with and, and let them know what's going on. Because as I said earlier, I, I get that depression and mental health is still kind of a taboo subject within our society, but it's so much more, uh, it's so much more open and focused on than it was 15 to 20 years ago when, like when I was playing. So reach out to, you know, reach out to your coaches and talk to your coaches. You know, you hear these horror stories about coaches, but you know, for the most part, I know a lot of coaches that are there, right? that want to help their players and want to make sure that they get better because they understand the importance that like, if your team isn't healthy, mind, body, and soul, then your team's not going to perform. And so it's not just about this money business anymore. I mean, it still is, but I think that coaches are much more, uh, much more aware of what's going on. Reach out to your athletic trainers, reach out to your teachers, your school counselors, whatever it may be. Um, But just reach out to somebody, you know, give people a chance to help you. Because I think that was the one area that I didn't is I didn't give people a chance to help me. And, you know, because I didn't do that, like I almost made it, you know, a very permanent mistake. So um, be open, even though it's hard, even though it feels uncomfortable, be open and share your story. If you're, if you're having a hard time or you're thinking about hurting yourself or, or you just want to cry, like it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to cry. It's not a sign of weakness. It's actually a sign of strength. So Jonathan, that's really, really good advice. I think I need to hire you for sideline because <laughs> this is your, your, you have so much to say and, and you're completely vulnerable at this point, which is, um, which is really, really outstanding and, and, and going to make such a difference in other athletes and giving them permission to, 
be vulnerable as well. So thanks so much for your time today. Um, and we look forward to, we'll have to collaborate in, in future ways. So um, to be continued at some point, but um, thank you for your time. Thank you for your sharing your story. Thank you for fighting through depression and for coming out on the other side. And I know now, you know, vocationally, you're helping other, you know, kids and, and adults do the same. So new higher calling, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I appreciate the opportunity, Christina. Thank you. All right. Thanks. All right.